Our scripture passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So I'd like to read that for you now. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Matthew chapter 25, and it'll also be on the, uh, on the screen here behind me. Beginning in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so then when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Norb. Wonderful passage and a blessing to me this week. Have you stopped lately to acknowledge how God has given you a file folder? And in the file folder uh, is a list of the assets that are marked just for you. It's a good Sunday to be reminded uh, of the many ways in which we have been incredibly blessed by God as individuals and as a church. Uh, we've recognized our grads this morning, and uh, while I'm aiming some of these thoughts in your direction, I recognize how significant this text is for all of us. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Graduation uh, is a transition time, so it's particularly appropriate that we ask the question, well now, how will you use the education that you've received? 
How will you use the experiences of life and the way the Lord has given and will give you opportunities to serve? What will you do with what you have? So take it and use it. But the same question is relevant for all of us. How has the Lord blessed you? Who has he made you to be, talent-wise, spiritual gift-wise, financially, influentially, opportunity-wise? So I want to do a little nudging this morning, if I could. And I want you to be reflective and hopefully be thankful to be aware of some of the things that God has done in your life. So take it and use it. Pastor Norb sent me a, a, a link yesterday to a great story. Um, just in recent days, the pastor of a, a community church near Ottawa, a town called Stittsville, uh, handed out $100 bills uh, during his sermon. Uh, uh, I'm not going to do that this morning, but uh, <laughs> but it would get your attention to say, well, maybe I'm going to do that this morning, but I, I'm not. Uh, he, someone gave him $10,000 to distribute in $100 bills, clean, crisp, new $100 bills. And each family got $100 and was asked to do something significant with it. And at the end of 90 days, there would be a time when they would share what they'd done with the, with the gift that they'd been given. Uh, I'm sure no one fell asleep during that sermon, and especially as the money was handed out. And, and it'll be particularly interesting to see what happens at the end of August. Uh, so I don't have uh, 10000 and I don't have $100 bills, but I do have a great passage, a great story that Jesus told. Uh, the parable that he told, he told a couple of times. He told it here in the context of Matthew 25. Uh, which is right in the middle of a theme uh, of Christ coming back. And uh, therefore the need to be ready. He also told the story in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. And he uses some different words <coughs> in the Luke passage. But the meaning is very similar to the Matthew story. So I'll just, I'll just stay with the Matthew story and... Uh, and work from there. Now you know that Jesus loved to tell stories. I love stories. Yesterday, just in a short time with the grandchildren, they said, can you tell us a story? Can you read us a story? Um, stories have impact. They can be suspenseful. They can be interesting. I love to hear my dad tell stories around the supper table. He was just kind of famous for spinning his stories over and over again. And even though I knew them probably as well as he did, uh, because he'd shared them so many times, you'd always want another story. Stories have impact. Jesus told stories. And he had an amazing ability to not say too much. The story should leave room for some imagination. So he left some of his stories hanging. It's like he tells a story and then he stands back, hoping they got it, that they could hear it, and that they could make the leap to understanding it and applying it. 
You remember sometimes the Pharisees uh, heard the stories of Jesus. And after a while, they said, he's talking about us. That's, that's about us. Oh. And guess what? The story is about us today. It's about us. It would be a shame to leave it in a context of 2,000 years ago, limited to the time in which Jesus created this incredible story. No, it's about us. It's about taking it and using it. So this fairly well-to-do uh, gentleman decides to tr- take a trip. Where did he go? To Persia. To India. To former Dubai. To Hawaii. To the Mediterranean. We have no idea. He went on a trip. He went to Phoenix to retire. He was going to be gone long enough that he needed some property managers. He had some money that he needed to have invested, so he needed some good managers. He was looking for a few good men or women to manage his assets. And he found one potential manager, and he trusted him with five talents. The New Living Translation calls it five bags of silver. Silver is pretty high on the market these days, so let's go with silver. To another, he gave two bags of silver. And to another, he gave one bag of silver. Now, it would be easy to get sidetracked a bit here, and I don't want to mislead you with an emphasis on the amount of money that they received. I mean, it does play a part, and it's important. But even more significant are those words in verse 15. To one he gave five talents of money, to another he gave two, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Underscore those last words, each according to his ability. The man with much ability was given five talents. The man with average ability was given two talents. The man with minimal ability received one talent. Now, don't ask me the logical question. What are the characteristics of a five-talent person, two-talent, and one-talent person? What makes them that way? I don't know. That's God. That's what he does. That's of him. I could guess, and probably so could you. But they were given talents or opportunities according to their ability. The businessman wants to make sure that while he's away, the money uh, is is, uh, going to bring in a reasonable investment. Naturally, he doesn't want his money to lie idle if he's going to trust it out. It must be used so that it makes a good profit. And so the owner of all of this wealth is not only rich, but he's also very discerning. He realizes that the three servants to whom he will entrust his wealth will not have all the same equal business skills. So understanding the different abilities of these servants, he distributes the talents accordingly, five, two, and one, respectively. And then he goes on his way with the expectations that these servants will use wisely the money that's been given to them. Now, listen, if you, as you hear this story, uh, you can think finances the way we use our money, but don't stop there. You can, you can think giftedness the way we use our strengths, or you can use, think opportunities the way we use our influence. I mean, they're all very applicable. 
I just don't want us to get stuck on money. So the servants with the five talents made a great, great investment. He doubled what the master gave to him, and now he has ten talents. The servant who had ten talent, had two talents also doubled his money, so now he has four talents. They obviously gave a great deal of thought about what they were given. You see, you have to risk a little bit in life. You have to risk the base of what you have. They put their money to work. I don't know what they invested in. Cattle, sheep, hogs, land, whatever. And, and the Lord commended to them, good job, good job. But the one talent man took no risk. He took that one talent he had, he dug a hole and he buried it. He didn't want to lose it. He didn't want to chance some casualty. And the Lord chastised him for being overly cautious. In fact, the Lord called him wicked. In fact, the Lord also called him lazy. Seems like strong language. Hold on to that for a moment. Five talents, two talents, and one talent. How have I been blessed? How have you been blessed? Are you five, two, or one? I mean, should we even think about that? Well, at least enough to get the point. That God has been so kind, so gracious. He's given me a lot. We'll probably all categorize ourselves in the middle because we're all so modest. Can't be a five. That's presumptuous. And we have enough incentive to say, well, maybe more than one. I'll take two. But I look at this congregation and I'm intrigued, and honestly, and I'm astounded at times with the abilities and the opportunities that are right here in this body. For sure, some of you here today are five-talent people. Capacity, opportunity, giftedness, high expectations, financial ability. It's not negative, and don't be hesitant about it. If God has created you that way and given you the abilities, it's more about Him than it's about you. He has blessed you. And the five-talent servant is not criticized in the parable. Not at all. I hope you understand. I hope you understand that it's not inappropriate to be wealthy. I hope you understand it's not inappropriate to be gifted in mind. Brilliant in your area. It's not inappropriate to be in a place of great opportunity and influence. That's the blessing of God. He's put you there. I think you might know what I'm going to say next. It's also a huge responsibility. You think Christian billionaires? There must be some. You think Christian millionaires? Believe me, there are many. Don't have a lot on their plate? You say, well, give me a chance. You think it's so hard to work with. Give me a shot at being a Christian billionaire. <laughs> oh, not as easy as you think. 
They bear a heavy responsibility. You think a Christian individual with great intellectual capacity doesn't have great responsibility? And what about a person with all this capacity and now has influence and now has opportunity? They stand at a place in life where their decisions, their words carry huge impact. Oh, he said that. Oh, because he's in that position, because he's influential. Adventuresome, but pretty weighty. As a side note, many years ago, uh, the wealthy Beeson family, Sid will know this, sensing their need to be faithful with their huge assets, made a decision to contribute $40 million to a seminary. Remember that? And they didn't choose our seminary here on campus. <laughs> Rascals. They selected Asbury Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. What an incredible blessing to that seminary. And I was just reading again this week of the blessing of, of that Beeson gift. Oh, they are, they are people with, there are people with that capacity. As recent as five years ago, a donor close to Tulsa, made a $60 million contribution to Oral Roberts University, bringing them out of huge financial problems. And then with some government ch governance changes, I hear there, ORU is back on the road again, doing great. Th those are huge investments by some five talent families or individuals that pray about these things, feel led by God to invest in ways that kind of blow us away. They are incredible gifts, but they come out of blessing and responsibility to be good stewards. Now, I use these kind of over-the-top gifts as, as an illustration, just to kind of put it over the top. But there's a lot in between. Now, the two-talent person. The two-talent person has to look at himself or herself and say, look how God has blessed me. Look at what I have to bring. And here's what I want you to see. Please don't miss this. The exact commendation is given to the two-talent person as the five-talent person. He doesn't say to the five-talent person, you did a better job and you are more faithful. No. They were both faithful. They both doubled their investment. They both used their resources wisely. These people had different abilities, but they were both equally faithful. And don't you think if the one-talent person would have doubled his investment, the same would have been said of him? Surely, of course. So what we've just said is that this is the meaning of the parable. And of course we understand that God is... Uh, distributed gifts for us also. I call it God's file folder. He is a file folder with your name on it. And he has a document in the file folder with your name on it and a list of the assets. Here's Ken McDonald. Born in the 1900s, not the early 1900s, <laughs> around the midpoint. And here's what I gave him. I gave him a farm background. I gave him a storytelling dad. I gave him a 
hardworking and loving mom. I put this English-Canadian family right next to a German-speaking Baptist church and German community so Ken could learn some German in life. But no, so that Ken could find his ministry path in North American Baptist churches. I gave him the opportunity to go to college and seminary. I gave him a great companion for life. I gave him three daughters with soft hearts. I gave him spiritual gifts. I gave him some amazing congregations to pastor. I gave him some great friends. And I gave him many opportunities to improve his golf game, but he never took advantage of it. (laughs) Now, you've got a file folder, too, that bears witness to the assets that you've been given. Physical, relational, spiritual assets, intellectual, emotional, you name it. All the assets, they're in the folder. So from the interpretation uh, of the parable, let me say a, a word or two about application for us today. Now let me get the elbows out a little bit. Number one, the owner's coming back. The Lord's coming back. This is a story that reminds us that Jesus Christ is the Lord and he's the master. And he has given to you some entrustments for a season while you have life and while you have breath. And he has made us managers and stewards of all the resources of life that God has handed to us. But he's coming back and he reigns. And he's in charge. And we're accountable to him. And there's coming a day when we will stand before him to see what we have done with what he's given to us. With what he's put in our file folder. Secondly, our file folders probably are all different. They're unique to us. God has given us different gifts, different capacities, different abilities. I used to be a bit jealous of what others had in their file folder. I didn't get some of those gifts, and I really would have loved to have received some of those gifts. I'm over my little rant now, and I'm grateful for what God has entrusted to me. Our file folders may be different. Great. Just as the Lord ordained. He entrusts different gifts to each worker. Thirdly, we're all judged for what we've, been, what we've done with what we've been given. It might seem that judgment only falls on the one who received the one talent. Not so. The first two are judged, but the master says, well done. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll give you more responsibility. But the one with the one talent is judged harshly because he was not responsible. And look at this. It was not even that he was reckless or wild or rebellious. He wasn't. In fact, it was because he was afraid. And he went and dug a hole and he buried his talent. He's judged because he was not responsible with the resources that came his way. It's dangerous to build theology on parables. For parables illustrate truth in vivid ways. The man was dealt with by the Lord. We can say that. He lost his opportunity for service. And he gained no reward or praise. Because the man was afraid he might fail. He didn't try anything. He didn't risk. He didn't get off the runway. He was so paralyzed with fear that he simply dug a hole 
and put the talent in the hole. Now, I admit it's a bit of a challenge to really understand the meaning of verse 6. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Eugene Peterson, in his translation, The Message, if you're following, put it this way, and I believe he captures the essence of the meaning of this passage. He, he translates it, The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. Well, the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb, throw him out into utter darkness. The man with the one talent is judged because he doesn't do anything with what he's been given. He hides his light under a bushel. He refrains from using his resources given to him by the master or by God. So just what is it that God has given you? And are you using what you've been given? This is a story about expectation. God says to all of us, I expect a response from what I've given you. Look at your file folder. Look what amazing things are tucked in your file folder. It's a unique folder. I designed it just for you. The king is coming back. We live in the kingdom. And everything we have does not belong to ourselves, but to the kingdom. He holds us accountable for everything he gave us. Think of what you've been given. What are your talents? Your relationships? Your abilities? We're not just talking spiritual gifts. We're talking all of life. Everything is up for grabs. It might be your education degree. <clears throat> Two degrees. It might be your engineering degree. It might be your Bachelor of Arts. It might be your doctorate. It might be your specific training, your skills. It might be your money. It might be your marriage. It might be your children. It might be your parents. All the people in your life, all the chances you've been given, all the time. How old are you? Don't ask. Don't answer. See how many years you've been given. Where has he placed you? What influence do you have? Are you the only Christian in your family? The workplace? What capacity emotionally, intellectually has he given you? It all counts. It's all in the folder. We're judged for what we've been given. Final thought. There's a reward. By the way, have the Eskimos started their training camp? Just, just, just getting going. You can actually go out and watch the Eskimos train. 
and uh, you can watch them work out. And some of those young guys, the rookies, you watch them. They'll be working their hearts out. Oh, they work. They train. They leave it all on the field. Why do they work so hard? They know their coaches are watching. They know if they work really, really hard, show themselves well, just maybe there will be a place for them on the lineup. They're working hard, so come July, when the season starts, they'll be on the team. They don't want to be standing on the sidelines. They want to be in the game. That's why those Vancouver Canucks have won their second game. They've been working hard all year long. And the privilege is and the honor is that they're in the Stanley Cup. That's the way the parable works too. The reward of working hard, the reward of being faithful is the fact that you're in God's great game. Oh, it's not just athletics. It's in so many fields. Watch these doctors work in their training as they go through medical school. Oh, do they work hard? Watch uh, someone who is involved in music. Do they practice and practice and practice? And what about engineers and profs? And from every walk of life, you work so hard in your field of training, preparing to do something in the world. You work hard in the field so you can work harder out there. I mean, that's the logic of this parable. It's because of the expectation of the king. His expectation of us is so great. He wants us to be faithful with our file folder. And God has paid you a high compliment with the way he has gifted you and positioned you. And it's our greatest job to honor him and to work for him. Yes, it's true. The reward for hard work and faithful work is more work. <laughs> Seems funny, doesn't it? Now he's blessed you with five more talents. Now he's blessed you with uh, two more talents. You see how faithful you are? You've been faithful, and so now he gives you more. Look, he says, I found a faithful person. I can trust this person. You've been faithful with your file folder, so I'll double the blessing. And guess what? He gives you more responsibility. And there's a part of us that says, oh, no, more responsibility. And there's a part of us that says, oh, God, oh, God. Really? Awesome that I can be part of that in your kingdom. I'll give you my best. The communion table is a reminder that the story of Jesus coming to this earth is a wonderful illustration of faithfulness. Jesus came to this world. He invested his very life so that he could bring the greatest return back to his father. He gave his life on a cross. He didn't shrink from coming. He didn't say, no, I won't go any further. He, he didn't just come for a few people. He came for all of us. And all of us are here today because of his faithfulness. And all of us can know his forgiveness because he gave his life. And the table is a reminder of what he's done for us. And this morning we just say, wow, thank you, Lord, for being faithful. Thank you, Lord, for the file folder that the Father gave you and that you, you used those gifts. You sacrificed your life. We're going to take a piece of bread. We're going to drink from a little cup as a way of remembrance and saying thank you. If you've come to know Jesus Christ as your leader and as your Savior, 
then we invite you to take this bread and take this cup and partake. And if you're still on a journey to discover what it means to know Christ, just feel free to allow the elements to pass. And we encourage you in your journey of knowing Christ.